Hello, this is Jeff Patterson, the senior pastor of Wesley Memorial Church in High Point, North Carolina. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. It's great to stay connected. I'm excited about the new sermon series uh, that is beginning in the month of August. It is a study of the book of Habakkuk, a great Old Testament prophet. The title of the sermon series is When God Doesn't because the prophet asked God some really tough questions in the book. And we're going to study that book together and learn how to uh, worship and love and serve God in the midst of very confusing times. So thank you for joining us. Good morning, everyone. As we are here in the final week of this sermon series called When God Doesn't, based on the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, we are now in Habakkuk chapter 3. And I'm going to be focusing on verses 17, 18, and 19, just a few verses at the close of this uh, great book, one of the minor prophets, as they're called in the Old Testament. So I'm going to start verse 17, the third chapter. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, Though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and makes my, me tread upon the heights. So in a Middle Eastern culture of thousands of years ago, you're talking about no figs, no food, no herd, no, no flock, no olives. In the south, it'd be like saying, we got no biscuits, we got no pinto beans, we have no macaroni and cheese, we have no sweet tea, basically no bojangles, right? But in reality, what Habakkuk is saying here is we have no grocery stores, we have no farms, we have no food at all. It's complete desolation. This is not a bad year to Habakkuk. This is a famine, a disaster. Now, this is something that we as Americans, we don't really have a point of reference to, to equate to this level of destruction. And yet, Habakkuk says, though all these things are happening, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. I mean, what would we do if the same thing happened to us? Would we exult in the God of our salvation? Because to a non-religious person, to a non-believer, this type of behavior sounds like madness. It sounds like you're detached from reality, and maybe we are in the best way possible if you do choose to worship while going through a dry season or complete devastation. It's a lot like the apostles who worshiped God while they were chained up in prison. They still praised God even though their immediate physical circumstance looked like all was lost. And here's the difference, though, between the people that think it's madness and those that don't. Habakkuk had gotten directly in contact with the goodness of God. The disciples chained up in prison, they had directly gotten in contact with the goodness of Jesus, the victory of God. And they knew that nothing would shake that from their memory. They knew they had a different perspective on their future. 
than just what they could see and the here and now. And what about you? What about you that's listening or watching today? Do you know the, directly the goodness of God for yourself? To the point that no matter what you're facing, it's what's right in front of you or what you've just gone through, you still will rejoice in the Lord because you know the goodness of God. Do you know that for yourself? See, you and I can make this mistake. We can infer the goodness of God based on the good things that happen in our lives. Like some good things. So when, when the stock market's up, my portfolio is making money, God is good. Or when there's not a pandemic, God's good. Or I haven't broken my leg today, that's a good day. I haven't gotten hit by a bus. My hairline is still holding steady, that's a good day. But see, circumstances are huge. Too much of our faith today in the American church is a little bit too much built on circumstance. If, the, if circumstances are good, God is good. But if they're bad, we beg God to change the circumstance. I mean, even Jesus asked God to change his circumstance. Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified, he's praying. He's praying with such intensity that he's literally bleeding out of the pores of his skin. And what is he praying to his Father in heaven? He's praying, let this cup pass from me, if it is your will. And some may say, well, God didn't answer his prayer. God didn't give him what he asked for. Was God there? It seemed like God didn't, or God didn't do anything. God didn't even help his own son. But actually, God did answer Jesus' prayer. And the prayer was no. The answer was no. This cup of suffering will not pass from you. But then the answer would become yes. Because the cup of suffering did eventually pass from him. You see, God may change you before he changes it. He may change you before he changes your circumstance. But either way, something's going to change. Victory will be given through Christ, whether it's now or later. Now, obviously, as I said, we seek for God to change the first thing to change the circumstance. But see, either God answers our prayers, one, with what we asked for, or two, with something that is eventually better than we could have imagined. Either you will be healed in this life, or you'll be healed in the next life. Maybe you've heard the name Tony Evans. He's a pastor in Texas. He and his wife, Lois, for over 40 years, built an incredible ministry from their, from their church, the Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. I love Tony Evans. I want to be like him when I grow up. Wonderful pastor, godly man. And Tony's wife, Lois, passed away this past December from cancer. And if you haven't seen the eulogy that their son, Jonathan, gave, I recommend you go look it up. It is an incredible message of hope in the midst of what most people, the world, would consider to be a very sad situation. And in that message, Jonathan said very clearly, you know what, either my mother was going to be healed, or she's going to be healed. Either she was going to be with family, or she's going to be with family. You let her live here, or she's going to live in heaven. 
Either way, God's eventual answers to our prayers are yes and yes. But obviously, we want the first thing. We want the circumstance to change. But we must remember the victory that you can or do have in Christ. That, that the victory that, that, that the deceased, that's already been given to them. We have to remember and get in touch, like Habakkuk, with the absurd goodness of God that will either happen now or in the life to come. That's why when you go to Christian funerals, there's no wailing. There's no intense, overwhelming, crushing mourning. We're sad, of course, but we know that the person that trusted Christ, they have died with him and they have been raised with him. Just as he was, we shall be also. And those who have died in Christ, they directly know the goodness of God. And no pandemic, no illness, no famine is going to shake that from their memory. And that's why Habakkuk could say, though all these things happen, I will still yet rejoice in the God of my salvation. But how, why do you do that? Is it possible of course it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we'll see here in Habakkuk 3, there's three things that he does. The first is he remembers. He remembers. You know, I have no problem, you and I have no problem remembering the good stuff in our lives. It's, that's fun. It's easy. I remember the birth of my children, one of the best days ever. I mean, of course, you remember, I remember my wedding day. One of the greatest days ever. You remember graduations. You remember when you got good news, when you got that promotion. You remember when you won that car on the Price is Right. That wasn't me, unfortunately. Maybe it was you. I want to hear that story. But we certainly want to remember the good things, but we don't really want to remember the painful stuff. But Habakkuk here, he remembers the pain. He remembers it. He remembers the desolation. He recalls it in detail. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't shy away from it, but he accepts it. And when you look back on your life and you remember it through the lens of faith and trusting God, you'll see God's faithfulness. You will. And you and many people listening right now will agree. I'm the same way. You will see that God was faithful then and then and then. You may not, you didn't feel it at the time, but you look back and you see his fingerprints on everything. When you lost your job, he was there. When you were sick, he was there. When you lost the loved one, he was there. You see, without the shadow, you don't see the sunshine. You don't appreciate it for what it is. You have to have both. Even though it's not fun, when we remember the hard times, you also will remember that God was faithful that he was there. Even though there was no flock and no herd and no food or whatever it was, he was there. One day as well, you and I will look back on this pandemic. We will remember and we will see that God was there. But right now, the church in America and this pandemic, it's a lot like Jonah and the whale. The pandemic is the whale and we're Jonah. And we've been swallowed up. Popular culture has been scooped out. Everything we were so dependent on 
has been stripped away. And like Jonah, Jesus has been calling his church in this country to faithfulness, to go to Nineveh, to preach boldly. But maybe we haven't listened, and we have some thinking to do. We have some remembering to do as we sit in the belly of the beast. And like Jonah, are we going to obey or aren't we? You see, this pandemic still hasn't really broken the people to returning to God. We're still relying on our own resources and ability. We're not crying. Maybe segments of the church are, but the culture is not. But see, but see if this pandemic won't do it, what will? I don't want to know. Because today is the day of salvation, to cry out to God for awakening and revival, to see that we will not plan or spend our way out of what we are in. We will not. The only hope we have is like we sang in that song, the hope that we can know in our soul, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, that we can know that hope so that we're able to love our neighbor as they deserve. Politics isn't going to get us out of the pandemic. I don't need to tell you that. We need God's help more than ever before. We will look back on this time, and we will remember, and we will see that God was pruning his church. He was stripping away everything that wasn't bearing fruit. And right now, for Wesley Memorial, we are not just in a holding pattern. We are not just waiting. Actually, I believe Wesley Memorial is in a gestation period. We're like the caterpillar that's getting ready to spread some wings and be a butterfly. That's what God has in store for this church and this service in particular. But you know what? When we look back and we remember, things aren't going to go back to normal. Because what is that? When has life ever been normal? Nothing is static. Everything changes in this world, but God never changes. See, this is the power of remembering the good and the bad. Because out of that comes appreciation. It comes an appreciation of what's important, of what's at stake on an eternal perspective and that God is faithful to us day after day. See, when we're given time to stop, and remember, and slow down, maybe spend more time with our families, and rely on God more, it's a mercy. Any chance we're given in this life to take a knee before God, it is grace. Remember, and then repeat. Habakkuk not just remembers, but he repeats his praise. When I think about repetition, I reminds me of a story of of a, of a husband that read an article to his wife about how women use 30,000 words a day while a man only used 15,000. And the wife replied, that's because we have to repeat everything to you men. To which the husband replied, what? See, repetition adds value. <laughs> repetition gets the point across as well to sometimes to us, and Habakkuk repeats his praise. See, repetition has great value. Why do we have four Gospels in the, in the New Testament? 
It's because each gospel gives a different facet. It goes deeper. It gives us a different picture of who Jesus is. It gives a deeper scope. The repetition adds value and depth. Why do we go to church each Sunday? Or why do we listen to church right now online? Because we forget. We need repetition. We need to hear the same Bible stories again, maybe sometimes, and we'll pick up something different later on. We need that repetition because we forget. Or why does an athlete repeat in-game motions in practice and repeat that action? It creates muscle memory so that when you need to react, you, you don't even think about it. You're ready. Perhaps we need a renewed childlike understanding of repetition, particularly when it comes to worshiping God. Repetition is not just fueled by monotony or rote obligation or obedience, but we should, we should repeat our praise to God out of childlike joy. One of my favorite quotes from G.K. Chesterton, he talks about this idea of repetition and how uh, it, it speaks of a childlike joy, not only in the joy of children, but also in the heart of God. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. And those of you with kids know this. They always say what? Do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and we grow old, and our father is younger than we. Remember, repeat, and rejoice. Habakkuk remembers, he repeats his praise, but then he also rejoices in God. Habakkuk, as I said, is someone who knew the goodness of God, who God is, and he intentionally says, God, I worship you. Sometimes, for Christians, our prayer life can just become a bit of a petition. God, help me with this. It can become a lot of confession. But how much of our prayer lives are just spending time intentionally just worshiping God? Just saying, God, I thank you. I love you. I praise you. Because here's something I've learned about worship over the years. You should certainly worship and rejoice, especially when you don't feel like it. Because that's when you need to worship the most. And God could be calling you to himself. And those moments where you don't have time, or you're too busy, or you just don't feel like it, that's when you need worship the most. See, as I said earlier, a lot of American Christianity has been built around circumstance which is a bit of an immature posture to take. But that's why we see a huge amount of people only come to church on Christmas 
and Easter and not any other time. We kind of want a God of convenience. But see, God doesn't work around our timetable. We should work more around his. And this behavior is a bit of a misunderstanding about worship and rejoicing. Is, is worship something that we just endure, or is it water to our soul? Is worship about a person, or is it about ritual or obligation, or just sort of getting through it? Well, the answer, as always, is in the text. You take it back to verse 18 of Habakkuk 3, where he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of what? In the God of my salvation. So let's, let's pause on that for a second. This is important. He says, I will not just exult in the God of my obligation. I'm not going to praise the God of my convenience. I'm not going to praise the God of my shoulder shrug of, eh, no one wants to praise God like that. But when you know God has saved you, when you know God has rescued you, not only from an addiction or your past or your shame, or not only that, but you know that God has saved you to give you eternal life, to live a new life here on earth. When you know that God is the God of your salvation, of course you want to worship God. I mean, imagine the blind people that Jesus healed. What did their worship look like after he healed them? Do you think they just sort of showed up to the temple like here and there whenever it was convenient? What was that guy's name that praised God, that, that healed me? Or, the, or what about the lepers that Jesus healed? What did their worship look like? Or what about dead people that Jesus raised? What did their worship look like? What are they rejoicing look like? What did the family members of those people that he rescued and, and healed, what did their rejoicing look like? look like? Was there any hindrance whatsoever to their worship or their praise? Were they afraid about how it made them look to their friends or the society around them? Did they care at all? I don't think so. Because when you know God is the God of your salvation, that's a game changer. You and I are no different than those people Jesus healed. If you're a Christian listening or watching right now, we have been rescued just as they were, but in a different sense. See, a lot of people, we have no problem being counted in the life of Jesus. And this is really getting near the end of this series about when God doesn't. Because it's hard. It's hard to be counted in the death of Jesus. It's hard to go through dark times and cling to God. We, want to, we look forward to being counted in the parts when Jesus gives us life or we're raised to new life in him. But, but when it comes in to walking in the sufferings of Jesus or, or, or when we're identified with sufferings for his sake, that's hard. And it's only through God's help that we're able to even rejoice in those moments. But you see, it's in the crucible of those moments that our faith is refined. We, res we must remember that God is the God of our salvation. We must remember our baptism because those trials, those moments when it seems like God doesn't, those are going to come. 
But when we see that God is the God of our salvation, when we rejoice in him, that, that without him we would have nothing, and that when we rejoice in him, you see those trials as a refining process. First Peter 1, he, he writes about this. Peter, the, 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 the cornerstone of the church in Jerusalem. In your salvation, you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. What he's saying is, you're going to go through trials. It's not if, but when in this life. Is, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. It's nothing, it's not a shocker to any of us. But because we know God, the God is the God of our salvation, because we're looking heavenward, because we're looking eternal, because we know that our story does not end with whatever it is in front of us, these things we go through are a refiner's fire. And that is another reason to rejoice in the God of my salvation. As Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you're counted as an outcast for my sake, he says, leap for joy. See, when you and I have directly encountered the goodness of God, the life of God, once you see it and you taste it and you know it, you can never look away. You're never the same. It's not just a mental assent or an agreement. It's a complete life change. And someone listening or watching right now needs that in your life. God wants to do it in your heart and in your soul. He wants you to know that he is the God of your salvation so that you would leave this day a transformed person. You may not feel anything in the moment, but like wind hitting water, you see the effects of the wind, even though you don't see the wind. You know that God was there. And God is calling someone or someones today to know that he is the God of your salvation. Listen to these words of Jesus as I close and ask yourself, do you know this for yourself? Do you know when Jesus says this in John 5, 24, he says, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And they do, they do not come under judgment. Doesn't that sound nice? To know that God will give you eternal life. He's not going to judge you. God doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't stand there with closed arms. He stands there with open arms to receive all that will come to him. He says, again, Jesus says, anyone who hears my word and believes in Christ, you will have eternal life. You will not come under judgment. And you will pass from death to life. As we wrap up this series, I can't think of any better way to end it is that our eyes are not on the moments when it seemed like God didn't or doesn't, but that our eyes are on the promise of Christ right in these words like this, that we will have passed from death to life, not the moment when our breath stops in our lungs, but outside of time and space, an eternal life that Christ will give us. It's simply by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that he is Lord and giving him your life and know that he is the God of your salvation. Will you pray with me? Let's pray.
God in heaven, we thank you. Your word says today to us to remember, to remember the good, and remember, God, how you were with us through the hard times, and to see, God, that you were present, to repeat, to choose, God, to, to, to rejoice in you, maybe even when we don't feel like it, but that's when we need it the most. But God, also to rejoice by the choice of our will to rejoice in you, to celebrate who you are. And we are, we are joining with a cloud of witnesses. We are joining with a host of heaven, a multitude beyond number and scope that even now is worshiping around your throne. And that even now we may see through a glass darkly. We are just a, a, a harbinger, a hearkening of the life that is to come the life after this life. And as that word said in John, anyone that trusts in Christ will not be under judgment. And I pray for anyone now in this moment that they feel that they're under judgment. They're exhausted. They feel like they are in a dead place. Holy Spirit, fill them. Move them, O God, from death to life. It is purely by your grace that this happens. It is your work. Not our own, our own merit, but it's simply by grace. Let, it, let us all receive that gift for ourselves on this day. For you are the God of our salvation. And nothing will shake that from our memory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.